Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. I have an affection for old pickup trucks. I love old pickup trucks because you can throw anything in the back and just toss it in and it doesn't matter if it's dented or scratched, it's just adding character to it. I love old pickup trucks because in the winter the cab warms up really quickly and it gets really warm. Most of all, I love old pickup trucks because when you're driving around, country music just sounds better. But I love, I love old pickup trucks, and when Trish and I were first married, uh, we lived down in Missouri, and I bought an old, old, old pickup truck, older than I wanted. We didn't have a lot of money. I think the truck cost me around 1000 bucks. And in Missouri, there are these things called state inspections. And, and what the state inspection was is basically they would, they would have certified mechanics that would check out your car to make sure that everything was okay with it, that it was safe for driving safe to be on the road, make sure you wouldn't get stranded or cause accidents because you have an unsafe car. Uh, here we just have winter, and that pretty much gets rid of all the unsafe cars. But there they had state inspections. And for people with not a lot of money and really old cars, they were kind of scary. They caused a lot of anxiety. Well, well one year I remember taking this old pickup truck uh, into a certified mechanic that was certified to do these state inspections. And he looked over it and he came back to me and he said, it's going to cost you $800 to bring this truck up to the qualifications it needs to pass state inspection. I didn't have a lot of money at the time and that was probably more than the, the worth of my truck. And so I'm trying to figure out what should I do? I was talking to my mom and she said, hey, why don't you take it to another mechanic and get a second opinion? I said, okay. So I did that. I paid the fee again. And the mechanic went and they looked at the truck and they came back and they said, you're all good to go. Passes inspection. You know, sometimes the truth is not all that important to us. Like if you want to argue with me what the high temperature was in Anchorage yesterday, I really don't care. It doesn't have much consequence on my life. But other times truth is extremely important because the consequences are great. In this situation, I mean, my truck, like, it, it either is going to have consequences on my wallet or on the safety of my family. You know, either it's going to cost me $800 to fix it up to get it nice and safe for my family, or it's good to go, and this other mechanic was lying to me. And so I'm trying to figure out which mechanic is lying, or maybe they're both lying, or maybe they just have different opinions on this. I don't know. But you, but you drive away from that. You're saying, what is true? What's true? Is, is, does it need to be fixed for our safety, or is it good to go? In his ministry, Jesus made many audacious claims. Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus claimed to have the power to forgive your sins. Jesus claimed that no one comes to the Father, no one goes to the heaven except through him. 
Because of these claims and claims like these, the truth about who Jesus is is of supreme importance to us because the consequences are eternal. The truth about Jesus is of utmost importance because if Jesus is not who he claims to be, if Jesus cannot do what he claims to do, not only are we wasting our time here on Sunday mornings, but as Paul says, our faith is futile. We are still in our sins. And we are of all people most to be pitied. In today's passage, the Roman governor Pontius Pilate after inquiring about the identity of Jesus, asked this extremely profound question which has haunted humanity. Pilate asked the question, what is truth? If you would please open your Bibles to John chapter 18. It is page 904 in the Red Bible, which is located in the seat in front of you. If you do not own a Bible, that Bible is for you to keep. Our rule is if you take it, you have to read it. That's our only rule. In John chapter 18, if you remember how the chapter began, it started in the Garden of Gethsemane with the betrayal of Jesus by Judas. He is, he's arrested. He's taken away. Last week, Pastor Jonathan preached on John 18, 12 through 27, where we read about the denials of Peter, but we also read about the Jewish trial of Jesus. Okay, remember the Jewish trial of Jesus. This week, we now move on to the Roman trial of Jesus. You see, the Jewish leaders took Jesus to the Romans because the Romans had a power to do something with Jesus that the Jews didn't. The Romans had the authority to inflict capital punishment on Jesus and to put him to death. And so the Jews bring Jesus to the Romans in the hopes that they will convict him and put him to death. And so that's where we pick up the passage today. John chapter 18, verse 28, and we will read through verse 38. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves, the Jews, did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusations do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So are you a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. 
For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Let's pray. Lord, your word is truth. We come today with this question, what is truth? Help us to receive the truth from your word, to accept it without qualification or reservation. May we receive your truth, that we may be people of the truth, that we might love your truth, that we might enjoy your truth, and that your truth might set us freer and freer and freer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's very interesting. We live in a culture that contradicts itself regarding the subject of truth. On one hand, our culture says there is no ultimate truth, that truth is relative. And so whatever is true for you is true for you. Whatever is true for me is true for me. And so please do not tell me that your truth has authority over my truth. And so they say there, there is no ultimate truth, which we know contradicts itself, right? Because there is no ultimate truth is an ultimate truth statement. But on one hand, they say there is no truth to be had. And yet on the other hand, the culture is constantly, constantly searching for truth. If you look at Washington, you will see they are searching for truth regarding collusion and global warming. If you go to any science center, you will see they are searching for the truth of the origin of man and of the universe. If you go to any courtroom or classroom or living room, there is a search for truth on who done it. As much as Americans try to suppress ultimate truth, our striving reflects that we are a people hungry for the truth. Convinced that there is truth to be found and the truth is of supreme importance to us. And so today, with Pontius Pilate's in regard to the person of Christ, we will ask this question, what is truth concerning this man, Jesus? As we work through this passage, we'll see three aspects of this truth regarding Jesus. The first is this. It is the absence of truth. I want to start by, by going back to Mark chapter 14. If you could turn your Bibles there, page 851 in the Red Bible. Uh, Mark chapter 14 gives us more detail about the Jewish trial. Remember, the Jewish trial came right after Jesus was arrested and before he was taken to the Roman trial, okay? So I want to look at this and, and notice the absence of truth in the dialogue that's going on in this passage. First, Mark 18, verse 53, and we'll go all the way through 64. Mark 14, 53 says, And they led Jesus to the high priests, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. Now look at this. But they found none. <laughs> 
for many bore fault with this against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands, which Jesus did not say. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. Could you imagine how frustrated the chief priests were at this time? They're there in the middle of the night. I don't know, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. They gather all these people together, all these witnesses, to make accusations against Jesus so they can take him to Rome, so that they can put him to death. And none of the testimonies would agree. Notice the stunning absence of truth. They cannot formulate a charge against Jesus. But that does not deter them from their wicked plans. Verse 60. And the high priest stood up in the middle and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, we see the passive obedience of Christ. If you remember us talking about that a few weeks ago, where he did not defend his innocence. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am, ego a me, the, the name of God, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garment and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. You know, the high priests were right in that Jesus was indeed claiming divinity. He was claiming to be the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, the Son of God, God in the flesh. And this is indeed blasphemy, unless it is true. But they are not concerned with the truth. Now here's the problem with the chief priests. According to Jewish law, blasphemy is punishable by death. But as I mentioned earlier, the Jews did not have the authority to put anyone to death. They were under the Roman reign and the Roman Empire would not allow them to execute capital punishment, but the Romans could. And here's the problem. Claiming to be God under Roman law is not punishable by anything, much less death. I mean, they had many gods. Who cares if there's one more God? And so since blasphemy is not punishable under Roman law, the Jews had to come up with different charges to get Jesus the death penalty. And none of them could agree on what those charges should be. Still, in the presence of the absence of truth, they were undeterred. And they took Jesus to Pilate. So back to our passage today. If you want to flip back, John chapter 18, verse 28. John 18, verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. 4 a.m., 5 a.m., Somewhere, it was early. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. Let's pause there for a second because I think there's some clarification. And if you remember, Jesus had just eaten the Passover on the Thursday night just before this had happened. But, but here it says that they, they didn't want to enter Pilate's house because they didn't want to be defiled. If, if you went into the house of a pagan, you were considered ceremonially unclean and they couldn't eat the Passover. Now, now the reason why it says that they could not eat it going forward, even though Passover 
meal happened the night before. Passover lasted several days. Uh, it was a festival that lasted really all weekend. And if they went into the governor's headquarters, then they would not be able to participate in the rest of the Passover celebration. Now notice just the hypocrisy of these men. They are, they are teetotalers trying to obey the law of God, the very God that they just beat and spat upon and now are trying to put to death. Verse 29, so Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusations do you bring against this man? And I love their response. They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Again, do you see the absence of truth? Pilate asked for charges against Jesus and they have no charges to bring. They just say, he's a very, very bad man. Trust us. He's bad. Trust us. They brought no charges because they had no agreeing testimonies. They had no truth to present. They had no evidence to present. At least nothing that was punishable under Roman law. So verse 31, Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Don't get me involved in your theological debates. The Jews said to him, and here's the real reason. It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, but Pilate can. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Verse 32 reminds us in the midst of this chaos that God is in control. You see, the Jewish forms of capital punishment were stoning and burning and beheading. But Jesus said he was going to die by being lifted up. And the only way that Jesus could die by being lifted up is if God orchestrated all of human history to have the Roman Empire in charge at this time who killed people by crucifying them, by lifting them up upon a cross. And so from this passage, what do we learn about truth? We learn that it comes, when it comes to the person of Jesus, the absence of truth does not deter men from rejecting Jesus. Even in the absence of evidence against him or consistent tenet testimonies against him or truth of accusations against him, they still sought to reject him to kill him. The, the same is true today. My favorite Bible commentator is a man named James Montgomery Boyce. And he shares the story of, of one day he's flying on an airplane and he sex, sits next to a woman who is not a believer. And when she hears that he is a Christian, Christian minister, she starts to bring out all her objections about Christianity. First, she spoke about original sin and how it made no sense to her and how she simply could not accept it. And James Montgomery Boyce heard the woman patiently and then he responded to her and he said, I see, but is it true? Next, she went on about the idea of judgment and hell and how uncivilized and amoral all of it was. And Boyce responds, I see, but is it true? She went on to the next topic, then the next, each time getting from the pastor the same response. I see how you feel, but is it true? Finally, she erupted with her detaste for everything taught in Scripture, how it was, wasn't modern or appealing to her way of thinking. And as Dr. Boyce opened his mouth again, she cut him off. She said, oh, I know, I know, I know. You're going to ask me, is it true? 
People reject Christianity in Christ, not because it is untrue, but because it is incompatible with what they want to believe and what they want to do with their life. If you're here today and you have investigated the person and work of Jesus Christ and you are still not surrendering your life to him as Lord and Savior, it is not because there is a lack of evidence, but rather it is because in the absence of truth, you have formed your own opinion to reject him. It's because you've denied the truth of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. You know, to one degree or another, we all do this, don't we? When we pursue sin, are we not denying the truth that Jesus knows better than us? Are we not denying the truth that Jesus is Lord over us and is with us at all times through his spirit? Are we not denying the truth that Jesus is sufficient to satisfy all of our needs? This is why we must use God's word and pour the stream of God's truth over our hearts and over our minds day in and day out to flood out the false beliefs in our heart and to submit to the truth of God's word. And so the first thing we discover about truth is that whenever there is a denial of Jesus as Lord and Savior, there is an absence of truth. The second thing we see here is the search for truth. Pilate is searching for truth to a certain degree. We'll look here. Verse 33 it says, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Now remember, the accusations the Jews made against Jesus were simply, he's a very, very bad man. Trust us, right? Which, which would never stand up in a court of law. And the fact that he claimed to be a Christ was not punishable under the Roman Empire, And so seeking to find a crime Pilate can charge Jesus with and sentence him to death according to Roman law, Pilate asked Jesus, are you a king? For as we read later in next chapter, verse 12, it says, everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And so anyone who opposes Caesar could be put to death. So verse 33 again, Pilate entered the headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Jesus asked this question of Pilate, not to antagonize Pilate, but to get clarity from Pilate. You see, if it is the Jews who told Pilate that Jesus was the king of the Jews or claimed to be king of the Jews, then Pilate could understand that as Jesus being a political king who was going to set up his own kingdom that would challenge Caesar. And that would be punishable by death under Roman law. But if Pilate was asking of his own accord, for his own soul, for his own salvation, then Jesus would answer in a very different way. You see, In essence, Jesus is basically asking, what kind of king are you asking that I am? Are you asking if I am a political king or a spiritual king? Jesus answered, or question angers Pilate. Verse 35, Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Pilate's response not only tells us that Pilate is still bewildered as to why people hate Jesus and want to put him to death, But it also tells that Pilate's search for truth was only on a forensic level. 
only on an intellectual level, only on a judicial level. It was not on a personal level or a spiritual level. Pilate was not asking Jesus if he was king so that he could investigate the claims of Christ and worship Christ. He was only asking if Jesus claimed to be king so that he could be done with him, so that he could get rid of him. You know, humans have this propensity. We search for truth. We discover truth. But then we ignore the truth instead of applying the truth to our own lives. I have several examples of this. I mean, just one is a couple weeks ago, I think I've shared this. I went to the dentist and my dental hygienist is cleaning my mouth. And, you know, I'm like, uh, and her hands are in my mouth. And somehow we're still having a conversation. I don't know how that works. But, but she's telling me about all the good things about flossing your teeth. And I agree with her, right? Like, and I say, I know these things because I've been told them like the past 40 years of my life. Flossing is a very good thing to do. But I said, I stink at flossing. And she said, you know what? Everybody does except dental hygienists. Like nobody flosses their teeth. Maybe you do, you're more disciplined than me. But I think all of us would agree, this is a good thing. And yet we know the truth, but we do not apply the truth. If you're a smoker, you know smoking's not good for you. And yet you still do it. Tom Brady got in trouble a few uh, years ago because he said that Coca-Cola is like poison for kids. I mean, none of us would say, oh, soda, that's nutritious, right? Like feed it to a baby. And yet we, by we, I mean I, still drink soda. We, we don't apply the truth sometimes to our own lives. Now, ignoring these truths may be unhealthy and unwise, but ignoring the truth about Christ is of eternal consequence. Pilate, many like Pilate, give a minimal search. They find out the truth about Jesus. They investigate his works, his claims, his life. And yet when they find the truth, they still refuse to submit themselves to the truth of who Jesus is. Friends, if you're here today and you're not a Christian and you're searching the truth of who Jesus is, that is wonderful. Praise God. But let me ask, what will you do when you find the truth? What will you do when you find the evidence? Will you submit your life to Christ? Will you trust your life to Christ? Or will you, like Pilate, dismiss Christ and move on with your life? Christians, when we come to the scriptures day after day after day, we're discovering the truth of God. Do you come with a humble heart, a submissive heart saying, Lord, whatever you say in this book, I will believe. Whatever you say in this book, I will do it. No matter how crazy it may seem, I will do it. Do you submit to the truth of God's word on what he says about your money, your time, your sexuality? Will you submit everything to what God commands of you? So just to recap, we see the absence of truth, which does not keep men from their evil intentions of rejecting Christ. The search for truth, which must be done with a submissive heart to submit to whatever we learn to be true. Finally, we learn of the king and the kingdom of truth. Jesus responds to Pilate's question about his claim of kingship first in, in verse 36 by telling him what his kingdom is not, okay? So verse 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, right? Like Peter would have continued to fight, but Jesus rebuked him and said, put the sword away that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. 
Jesus is not saying that his kingdom has no earthly presence or no earthly activity or no earthly authority. Rather, Jesus is providing clarification to Pilate and to us that Jesus did not come to establish a political kingdom, a worldly kingdom. In fact, when his disciples tried to by force take him away and crown him as king, he escaped because this was not the kingdom that Jesus was about. Jesus was not about a kingdom that was created through violence like worldly kingdoms. Again, that's why he told Peter, put the sword away. This is not what I'm about. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. It is not a political kingdom. And therefore, it is no threat to Caesar's kingdom in a political or worldly way. And so he is not guilty of his claiming to be king in opposing Caesar. So in verse 36, Jesus tells Peter what his kingdom is not. It's not a worldly kingdom. But then in verse 37, Jesus tells him what his kingdom is, a kingdom of truth. Verse 37, the Pilate said to him, so, are, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. This is, this is Jesus affirming what Pilate is saying. We may not get it, but in the originally, Jesus is affirming, I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. This is a cataclysmic statement. What is the purpose of Jesus? Why did he leave heaven and come to earth? To bear witness to the truth. Not not some truth, not a truth, but to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Christ's kingdom is a kingdom whose weapon and joy and currency is truth. We, we see this, this, this topic of truth throughout the gospel of John. In John 1, Jesus is said to be the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.17 says, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. John 8.31, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So whoever the son sets free, you will be free indeed. Truth is vital because truth brings freedom. Jesus came to bear witness about the truth. Jesus has come to proclaim the truth about the human condition and it is not good. Jesus has come to proclaim the truth about the holiness of God and it is otherly. And Jesus has come to proclaim the truth about the way of salvation, which is magnificent. Jesus came to bear witness about the truth. But that's not all. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the truth. What does it mean that Jesus not only bears the truth, but Jesus is the truth? Well, Jesus is the truth because Jesus is the word of God in the flesh. Jesus is the truth because Jesus is the plan of God in the flesh. Jesus is the truth because Jesus is the gospel, the good news of the gospel of God in the flesh. Now, how is this? How is Jesus the good news of God in the flesh? Well, let's keep reading here. Verse 38. I love, 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 love this verse. Pilate said to him, what is truth. (laughs) Pilate had a private audience with truth enfleshed. He locked eyes with truth. And yet, he says, what is truth? And then what is so astounding is this man who is asking, what is truth? Then becomes the spokesman for truth in in a crowd of people 
full of false accusations. Verse 38, Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. He echoes this two more times in the next chapter, verse 4. He says, I am bringing him out to you that you may know I find no guilt in him. Verse 6, take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Do you think John is trying to communicate something to us? On three different occasions, Pilate proclaims the truth more than he knows. Not only is Jesus not guilty of, of, of uh, breaking the Roman law, but Jesus has never broken God's moral law. Jesus is without sin. He is without blemish. He is perfectly innocent. You see, during the Passover, which was going on at this time, each household would would bring into their home a Passover lamb. It was a lamb that was to be without blemish. They kept the Passover lamb for three days just to examine the lamb and to make sure that it was flawless and, and, and acceptable to be sacrificed to God. And then they would kill the lamb as a substitute for themselves to celebrate when death passed over the people of God in Egypt. Friends, Jesus Christ is the ultimate and final Passover lamb that all the other Passover lambs pointed to. As John the Baptist said to Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do you know Jesus takes away your sin? He takes away your sin. He takes away your sin. Jesus was examined by the Jews and then the Romans and he was found to be with no guilt, to be flawless, to be without blemish. And yet, even though he was declared innocent, he was crucified. He is the guiltless one. We are guilty. And at the cross, he took on our guilt, on our punishment, on our death that we could have his innocence, his righteousness, and his life forevermore. Friends, all of us are in a search for truth. And we are often convinced by the ways of the world that truth is relative, that it, that it just depends how you feel, that, that whatever is acceptable to society. But that version of truth leaves people searching constantly because we are all hungry for truth. One theologian declared that there is true truth and it is a glorious truth. The truth that sinful, guilty people deserving of death can be set free by the death and resurrection of Christ. The king of truth is the only one who can bring us into his kingdom of truth. Let me end with this. In Pilate's day, uh, there was a disillusionment with truth in general. It's much like today. There's nothing new under the sun. But at that time, the disillusionment was with Greek philosophy, which, which sought really at, at all costs to find out what is truth. Uh, and, and after hundreds of years, it, it failed miserably. The man who perhaps tried the hardest to find truth was a philosopher named Plato. Plato and other Greeks understood the necessity of finding this overriding universal truth, but always failed to do so. And so at one point, out of despair, Plato said, it may be that someday there will come forth from God a word who will reveal all mysteries and make everything plain. 
Friends, I have good news. In our search for truth, God has not abandoned us. He has not left us with an absence of truth, but has given us a person of truth, Jesus Christ, who is the king of truth and reigns in the kingdom of truth for all eternity. And according to John 14, 7, all who trust in Christ are filled now with the spirit of truth. On multiple occasions in this passage, Jesus is giving Pilate an invitation to hear the truth, to see the truth, to believe the truth, to submit to the truth. But Pilate hears the truth and rejects the truth. But what about you? What will you do with the truth? What is truth? Christ is truth. Let's pray. Again, Lord, you could have left us in deception, but you did not. You brought truth into the world through your word, through your son. Thank you for giving us truth. Help us, God, to cast away all deceptions, all lies that we are so prone to believe and cling to your son who is the truth enfleshed. Thank you for your truth and that your truth will set us free again and again and again. Lord, as we turn to your table, we are reminded that you are the ultimate Passover lamb who takes away the sins of the world, which includes us. That you take away the sins of all who trust in you, God. What a glorious proclamation of good news. As we take of the, uh, these elements, Lord, remind us that we have been washed clean by the blood of Christ. That our sin has been nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. Let us take this supper with a repentant heart. Confessing our sin. Casting it at the foot of the cross. Knowing that it has been separated from us as far as the east is from the west. And may we rest in our righteousness in Christ and in your love for us in him. And we pray this in Jesus' name.